0: So here we are. We're at the end of Genesis chapter 50 and at the end of Joseph's story. Since Easter we've followed the twists and the turns, the trials and the tribulations of this young man. For we remember at just 17 Joseph's brothers betrayed him and sold him into slavery. While a slave Joseph was falsely accused, thrown into jail and forgotten. Yet God's hand was on him. And Joseph rose to a high position in the royal court. He became second only to Pharaoh throughout the whole land. And not only this, but God was also working on the rest of his family. So that years later, when the brothers were placed in a similar situation where it was to their advantage to betray a younger brother, they refused to and they were willing to suffer in his place. And let's not forget Jacob, the father of all these boys, he had been worn down by grief and worry. Yet God transformed this grumpy old man into a grandfather with honour. And the family was reunited in Egypt. And uh, this is such a great story. A family torn apart and now reunited. And I'd love to sign off on this last sermon with her. They lived happily ever after. But life is not always like that. There's one more twist one more family drama, one more opportunity for Joseph to point to Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to this amazing story of your hand on this family's life, we pray that we will be encouraged too with our family situation. Soften our hard hearts, open our deaf ears to hear your word for us. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to strap yourself in while I ask a couple of hard questions. Okay, so you're ready? You're bracing yourselves? If you were to die tonight, are you confident that you'd get into heaven? Are you assured in the heart of hearts, your heart of hearts, that you're forgiven? Are you convinced deep down that on judgment day, when you stand before God Almighty, that you have escaped the punishment that you deserve? What I'm talking about is assurance of salvation and do you have it? Now some people believe everybody gets into heaven eventually so why bother with assurance? It's just not an issue for these people. Opposite this are those Christians who believe that hell is real because the Bible describes it as and I certainly am one of those but these Christians believe you can never receive assurance this side of heaven. These Christians believe we can never know whether we're going to heaven or hell until we stand before God on Judgment Day. And they go on to say that, well, the best we can hope for is to attend church, stay out of trouble, pray, tide our money, do good works and then cross our fingers. And that's as good as it gets. But the Bible says both of these views are in error. The Bible says we need assurance because hell is a very real option. It's the default for everyone. But the Bible also tells us that we can have assurance that in the here and now, we can know what it's like to be totally, completely, and fully forgiven. That this side of the grave, we can know that come judgment day, we will not receive the punishment we deserve. And that this assurance, when we have it, Will transform our walk with God. For with assurance comes a freedom, a freedom to enjoy our Heavenly Father as a loved child enjoys his dad. And this is kind of being reinforced anew to me as I watch my 18 month old grandson play with his phoenix, play with his father, Reese. And you know, it is a real delight, isn't there? With lots of giggles and smiles and just absorbed in the moment. And that's what God wants for each one of us. And we can only have it when we have assurance of salvation. Our walk with God becomes a joy and a delight and our freedom. And our motivation to follow Christ is not now based on fear, it's not based on uncertainty, it's not based on having to earn favour, but a sound and secure knowledge that we are already loved, forgiven and set free from final judgement. And we're going to see this played out so clearly as we finish Joseph's story. As we look at Joseph's story, as it finishes in the Bible, we will see that in Christ we are completely forgiven and in Christ we are free from the punishment we deserve. So we need to pick up from where we left off last week. Last Sunday we saw Jacob, now elderly and life's end. And Joseph received the news that his father was about to die, literally on his deathbed. So Joseph gathers his two sons, the grandsons of Jacob, and they visit. And Jacob rallies. He pulls himself up in bed and he blesses his two grandsons. And then Jacob calls in for the rest of the boys, his sons, and he speaks a final word to each one of them. And in Genesis 49, Verse 33, when Jacob had finished giving instructions to his sons, he drew his feet up into the bed, breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. Chapter 50, verse 1, Joseph threw himself upon his father and wept over him and kissed him. And we see Joseph again in tears, heart-wrenching, sobbing and deep tears for a father, that had so much of that time robbed from him while he was in slavery and prison, but had the joy of that reuniting in the last couple of decades. And Joseph and his brothers are faithful to their father's last request to bury him back home in Canaan, a good week or more's journey. Now, in those days, bodies were normally buried within 24 hours because of the hot climate. And so normally that journey with a a dead body would have been impossible except for the embalming that the Egyptians had perfected at this time. And if you want an interesting read of a couple of paragraphs, the Bible goes into a little bit of detail of the embalming process that Jacob went under. So they make the trip. And finally, Jacob is laid to rest in the tomb of his father's and his beloved wife, Rachel. But now comes the final twist. A family drama reignites an old wound's Reopen, Genesis 50 verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So what's happening here? Well, the brothers are running scared. You see, they're thinking the only reason they're alive is because if Joseph had killed them like they deserved 17 years ago when they first came to Egypt, their father would have been so grieved he would have gone to an early grave that if they'd been punished as they deserved then Jacob would have just shriveled up and died but Joseph loved his father so much that he refused to but in all these 17 years Joseph's been harbouring revenge in his heart and has been watching patiently to his opportunity to kill him then that's what the boys are thinking they have no assurance that they've been forgiven. They have no assurance that they will not escape the punishment they deserve. And can you see how they're just like us? We're thinking, oh, I'm not sure if I'm forgiven. And that's what the brothers are saying, oh, I'm not sure if I'm forgiven. And and we say, well, I'm not going to quite sure whether I'm going to go to heaven or hell. And the brothers are saying exactly the same thing. Well, I'm not sure whether Joseph's going to kill us or not. So the brothers are like us in that they don't know that they're forgiven and they have no assurance that judgment day won't see them punished. So both the brothers and ourselves need a healthy dose of assurance. So what do the brothers do? How are they going to get out of this? What's their plan? Well, their plan is to lie their way out of it, to tell a porky. And they appeal to Joseph's loyalty to their deceased father, and so they make up this story and they send it by a messenger. They won't even go into Joseph's presence to begin with in case he kills him on the spot. So they send a messenger, verse 16. So they sent word to Joseph saying, so this is the message, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph, I ask you to forgive your brothers, my sons, the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. And then the boys go on to write, Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. And of course there were no special instructions from Jacob's deathbed. He didn't say anything like these words. However, the brothers do get a couple of things right. First, they sign off as servants of the God of your father. Uh, They have redefined their most important relationship as being with God. So they got that right. The second thing is they ask forgiveness. They say, now please forgive. Do you know this is the first time in 39 years since they sold Joseph in slavery, this is the first time that they've asked for forgiveness? 39 years. And it's a bit the same with us. It's easy for us to say, I'm sorry, but the words, will you forgive me, can stick in your throat. Or was that just me? (laughs) Look, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Oh, that second step I find really hard. And it's 39 years though. (laughs) That's a long time. No wonder the brothers are guilty. They may have said sorry, but they've never said, will you forgive me? So Joseph, he receives these messages. What's he going to say? What's he going to do? So, the end of verse 17. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. Now, we've seen Joseph weep at the reunion of his brothers. And then there's that wonderful time in uh, a few chapters back where we hear that Joseph just hugged his father when they first met, hugged him and held him in his arms for a long time and wept. And we've seen them weep over his father's grave. And now we see him cry again as he realizes that his full and complete forgiveness has been totally misunderstood for the past 17 years. Okay, He's forgiven them from day one and they have not understood his genuine compassion. It's been misconstrued as patience for revenge. And can I say, this is how God feels about you and I when we do not take him at his word his Bible clearly says that we are forgiven when we repent. And if we repent and still don't know we're forgiven, the father heart sheds a tear in the same way that Joseph shed a tear when his brothers did not take him at his word. And it's the same when we think about judgment and heaven and hell and where am I going to go and God sheds a tear because his word is clear then when we repent and ask Jesus to be Lord, then Jesus has taken the punishment we deserve on himself. And so even if it is to spare our Heavenly Father grief, it is important that we do not rest until we have assurance of salvation. Now some people like John Wesley, if you know the story, it took him years to find assurance. He even went on to the mission field to try and earn his way with God because he wasn't sure whether he'd loved or he'd get heaven and hell. And he was a failure on the mission field in America. And then he came back and there was the storm and the ship and, uh, and he was fearing for his life and there was a bunch of Christians, Moravians, that were just calmly praying and singing hymns and he could not work out why they had assurance and he did not. And then John Wesley went to a Bible study when he got on shore as his custom, and there was a group of men studying God's word, and the leader started to read a commentary written by Luther on Galatians. He wasn't even reading the Bible, and in it Luther was explaining grace. And this is years after John Wesley had been been serving God. And then he wrote those famous words My heart felt strangely warmed. And that's when he had assurance. And so do not rest like John Wesley did not rest until you can know hand on heart that God has forgiven you in the same way that Joseph has forgiven his brothers. And so we're in the middle of a family misunderstanding and I won't ask for a show of hands but how many of us have been in the middle of a family misunderstanding? Sometimes it turns to custard. This one does not. What happens next? Verse 18. His brothers then came in because they'd sent the messenger in to soften up Joseph. They then come in and threw themselves down before Joseph. We are your slaves, they said. So how will Joseph respond? Well his words are some of the most pivotal, crucial words in the Bible. Remember that fifty twenty rule? Well we're going to come to it. Absolutely huge. Taken in the immediate context the words of Joseph are powerful and compassionate and life giving but taken in the wider context of salvation history they are profound and impact each of us in the 21st century and beyond. So what does Joseph say? Well he dries his tears and he said don't be afraid am I in the place of God you intended to harm me but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children, and he reinsured them and spoke kindly to them. Now let's break down these three verses, verses nineteen to twenty one. Let's just spend some time on them. Firstly, Joseph says do not be afraid words to reassure, calming words, words to reduce tension and still their fears. And Joseph says, am I in the place of God? Now this is a reminder that only God has the power of life and death. Now this may be delegated to a judicial system, that includes the death penalty, but nobody, no individual, no matter how powerful or aggrieved, as Joseph was, has the right to take a life when it suits them. Am I in the place of God? No, I'm not, says Joseph. Next he says, And you intended to harm me. Joseph does not sugarcoat what the brothers did. The pain and the grief and the loss inflicted on Joseph were cruel and undeserved. Any punishment the brothers received would be totally deserved. And then, the next two words are considered by many to be the two most important words in the Bible. Very simple words. But God. But God. You see, Joseph knew from experience, no matter how grim, no matter how despairing, no matter how crushed, as soon as God steps in, everything changes. Like you intended to harm me, and I was in jail, and I was falsely accused. And I was forgotten, wasting away. But God, and it makes all the difference in the world, but God sees despair replaced by hope, scars by healing, and fear by love. But God intended it for good. Uh, Some of you may know the great Welsh preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who had a powerful biblical ministry, great preacher from the 40s right through to the 70s. He spent 17 years preaching through the book of Romans and never finished. He did it on a Friday night and he spent three sermons on but God in Romans chapter 5 where it describes how we were powerless and weak and then it says but God and Christ reached into our life. But God intended it for good. What good was this? The saving of many lives. Now how were the lives saved? Well, Joseph came to see that in the muddle of the past 39 years God had a plan and it was a plan bigger than Joseph. It was a plan bigger than his family. It was bigger even than the nation of Egypt but a plan to save many nations from famine. So Joseph had come to see that everything from the dreams he had as a 17 year old. Remember the dreams when his brothers came down to, and bow in front of him? And of course what are they doing now? They're on their knees begging for their lives. And he had that dream when he was 17. But bigger than that dream, and more important than his slavery and his punishment and his rise to power, all of this was part of God's plan. As a slave and in prison, he was trained in administrative skills. He looked after Potiphar's very expensive household. He managed that. When he was in prison, he was promoted even as a prisoner to run the prison. And he picked up administrative skills to run the country. And so he was running Egypt because of what God had done earlier in his life. As a slave and in prison, his character was tested and refined. If we remember, the 17-year-old was cocky and arrogant. But by the time he was helping to rule Egypt, he was humbled and generous and kind. And so Joseph's looking back and he sees God's plan not only in his life, but in the lives of his family and of the nations, all saved from seven years of famine, because but God had a plan. And so then he finishes these words to his brothers, so don't be afraid. And of course all this has implications for us today, for as Joseph is reassured by his brothers, we too are reassured by Christ. For in a true and a better way, Jesus is a ruler with power over life and death. See, Joseph, when they came to his household, which was extensive, large, almost a palace, Joseph had the power of life over death. He was sitting in judgment on his brothers. And in a true and a better way, Christ has the power of life and death and sits on judgment over us. And like the brothers who needed Joseph's forgiveness and assurance that their punishment they had escaped from, so Christ assures us. So let's go through these words of Joseph and imagine that Christ is speaking to us. And the first thing that Jesus would have each one of us know today is do not be afraid. In John chapter 14 verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled, trust in God, trust also in me. And then Jesus says, am I in the place of God? Well with Joseph the answer was, no, but with Christ, when he says, am I in the place of God? The answer is yes, very much yes. Hebrews 1 verse 3, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Christ is worthy to judge and to rule. Colossians 1 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So when Jesus says, am I in the place of God, the answer is very much yes. And then Jesus tells to each one of us, you intended to harm me. And we might think, well, well, I haven't really gone out of my way to harm Jesus. But again, God will not smooth over our sin. He will not sweep it away like a grandfather who turns a blind eye to his grandson's being naughty. Not at all. God never smooths away our sin. And we sin. No one, including this preacher, is without fault, failure or folly. And when it comes to sin, we always sin against Christ first and others second. And remember we learned this from Joseph a couple of months ago when he was accused of having sex with Potiphar's wife, his master's wife, Joseph responded with these words. Genesis 39.3 Joseph saying, How could I do such a thing, a wicked thing, and sin against God? Technically he should have said how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against Potiphar my master or even against Potiphar's wife but no, Joseph realised that when he sinned he sinned against God first and another hero of the Old Testament David, he expresses this as well he's praying for forgiveness why does he need to pray for forgiveness? because he's had an affair and he's murdered the husband not quite sure why David's a hero of the faith when he's a murderer and an adulterer. It may have something to do with the mercy of God. Anyway, Psalm 51, David repents. 51 verse 4, and he says to God, against you and you only have I sinned. Technically, he's sinned against Uriah because he's murdered him, and against Bathsheba. Well, yes, that's true, but first David realised he'd sinned against God. Let's look at it another way. You intended to harm me? We have all harmed Christ because it is our sin that sent him to the cross. It was our sin that drove those nails into his hands and his feet. And we deserve punishment and we don't deserve forgiveness. But God. But God. You could sum up the whole gospel in those two words. But God. God had other plans. Totally undeserved and completely without merit, we stand only by the mercy of God. But God intended it for good. What good? The saving of many lives. You see, Jesus came as one of us. And like Joseph, he was betrayed and abandoned. Now, how many brothers were there in the family? Twelve. How many apostles were there? Twelve. Twelve. Where did Jesus' betrayal come from? It's one of the 12, wasn't it? It was Judas. Just like Joseph was betrayed by one of his brothers, Jesus was betrayed by Judas. How many abandoned Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane into the cross? Well, they all did, didn't they? In the same way that Joseph was betrayed by his brothers, Christ was betrayed by his 12 closest friends. And because not only that, he was enslaved in prison, just like Joseph was. Sin and death took Christ prisoner and nailed him to the cross and held him there with cruel nails, imprisoned. But God, but God intended all of this for good, for the saving of many lives, for sin and death could not hold Christ down. Christ was truly innocent. He died in our place as the Son of Man and the Son of God. He bore our punishment that we deserved and forgave our sins. And God raised him from the grave. Sin and death were destroyed. And no wonder the last words of Jesus to us this morning ring true. Don't be afraid. In John 14:27, Jesus says to us, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So what have we learnt learnt this morning? Well, at the beginning I asked you to strap yourself in while I asked some hard questions. And that question was, if you were to die tonight, would you be assured that you'd get to heaven? Do you know deep down you're forgiven? Do you know you've escaped eternal punishment the punishment you deserve if you answered no you were just like joseph's brothers if you answered no that i don't know that i'm forgiven i don't know of escape punishment then you were like joseph's brothers who were running scared witless before joseph and you know that broke joseph's heart just as it breaks our heavenly father's heart when we do not take him at his word And remember there's that lovely, one of many lovely phrases in the story, lovely sentences, lovely verses, where Joseph spoke with reassurance and kindness to his brothers. And Jesus does this to us today. Jesus speaks words of kindness and reassurance as he invites you to his communion table. We come and we take the bread and the wine the symbols of his broken body and spilt blood, but they are also symbols that we are forgiven and that we are set free from eternal punishment. So, this morning, as we come to the table, none of us is worthy, but God. <laughs> but God intended it for good, for the saving of many lives. And remember that if we doubt God about our forgiveness and eternal salvation, it breaks his heart and the father heart sheds a tear but when we come confident in christ that this bread and this wine are symbols of our salvation our heavenly father takes great delight let's pray